Well, good morning. Um, I'm sorry. I forgot. I left my cell phone on. And so I'm turning that off because I don't want my wife or anybody to call me. She's not here this morning. And so that would be awkward. And all the awkward is awesome, not when you're preaching. Uh, I'm so glad you guys joined us today to open the word and to really worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. And as you're turning there, um, I just wanted to remind you, I, I get to fill in um, every so often for Pastor Sid. Pastor Sid is traveling out to Arizona. In fact, he's there right now visiting some grandbaby of his. I don't know, they've got like an army of their own children now. And, uh, you know, the Bible says the meeks, I'm sorry, the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, sorry, that was a total twist of scripture. Please forgive me, I should not do that from the pulpit. But I'm pretty sure he wants to try to inherit the earth with all of his grandchildren. Uh, no, I'll be praying for him and Priscilla as they're over in Arizona um, with Nathan and, Nate and Joanna over there and their new grandbabies and celebrating uh, a new child. They'll be coming back midweek this week. And so uh, Sid will be back next weekend to bring the word back to y'all, back in 1 Corinthians. Um, but while he is out um, parading the world and, and, and flaunting this grandchild, uh, I've got the privilege of bringing to you a psalm. Uh, a couple months ago, actually at the beginning of the year, um, I started uh, a series called Psalms, a song for every situation. And uh, if we look at the book of Psalms, there's 150 Psalms, and each one is an individual song. And as I shared last time um, I preached, there's different types. There's Psalms or songs of thanksgiving, of celebration, of praise, of declaration of God's kingship. Um, and we've talked a couple times about lamenting, bringing your, your woes and your struggles and your fears to God, communicating to him almost like a complaint, but with faith trusting that he is in control, recognizing and acknowledging that he is God, choosing to trust and praise him through it. And yet Psalm chapter 8 is a, not a lament. It's actually a psalm of praise. It's a psalm to refocus or realign the mind of those who sing through the book of Psalms. In fact, verse, uh, chapter, or chapter 3 through 7, or Psalm 3 through 7, are psalms of lament. Eight and nine are praise, and then chapter 10 goes back to lament again. Because it's meant to realign our hearts to who God is. He is a big God. He's a big God. Not just in size, like we think, well, of course he's a big God. He's big, right? Not just in size, but in who he is. This past week, I had the privilege of, I was getting, in the, getting up in the morning, and I had the privilege, 
I, I like listening to podcasts. Who here likes listening to podcasts? Yeah. Who here likes listening to podcasts of preachers online? I, I do, you know, um, I, but normal human beings don't over-spiritualize them more than you should ever over-spiritualize me or look to your left. You shouldn't over-spiritualize the guy to your left or the guy to your right. We're all normal people who love Jesus. And so I was listening to this podcast as I was getting ready in the morning, and it was by Chip Ingram. Anybody know Chip Ingram? I, I really appreciate a lot about Chip Ingram. He's a, he's a, he's a, just, he's smooth. Like, when I listen to him talk, I, I can almost listen to him all day long, because he's so smooth. And, uh, and he was talking about how, you know, people oftentimes pray for more faith. But they don't necessarily need more faith. They just need a bigger view of God. And as I'm listening, I'm going, wait a minute. I'm, I, I, I was planning on looking at Psalm 8, and I'm like, this is kind of interesting how you were, he was saying they just need a big view of God. And then he used this illustration, and it really it made my ears tingle. Because it goes, it goes, I know the story of this youth pastor who took a group of teenagers out in the middle of winter on a lake. Now, every year I go up north and I go up to Fort Wilderness. And one of my favorite, least favorite moments of the whole weekend is at 11 o'clock on Saturday night, I take anywhere from 20 to 50 teenagers, and we go out on the center of a lake, and we stare up at the sky, and we're just in awe of God's creation. And we sit there in total silence for 25 minutes. We hear the wind. It's like zero degrees. We're bundled up sitting on inner tubes, just staring in total silence, seeing a big God. Well, Chip went on with this story. He goes, this youth pastor was grabbing these 30 teenagers and said, hey, guys, let's go on the ice. He doesn't know any reports about the ice. He doesn't know how thick the ice is. And so he goes, don't worry, I've got a stick. And so he takes the stick and he gets on the edge and he taps the ice first. And they, inch by inch, move out on the ice. He gets about five feet out. He goes, guys, so far we're okay. And you, you can just see some of these people back here. Some of the guys going, oh, no. Uh, Pastor, how deep thick is this? I don't know. I would just, just, just follow me. Trust me. Trust me. And so he inches out, inches out, inches out, and like he gets about 15, 20 feet out, and one by one, single file line, they start slowly getting on the ice. I mean, can you imagine the headline? Youth pastor takes 30 students out. They all fall through the ice. Rushing through his brain, he's getting nervous. He's like, and they get out there, and they get out there, and the last person, the 30th person, is right on the edge of the shore getting ready to get on there, but that person is like terrified. Can you feel that? Can you see that? Just terrified. He's got a stick, but what is that supposed to do? Tap, 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 inch, inch. Tap, 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 inch, inch. And all of a sudden, the pastor goes, stop! Did you hear that? And he's not joking. He's like, did you hear that? And they, like, look at each other and, like, what, what? They hear a, like a, hum, a buzz, a hum. He goes, what is that? And he's looking around, and then he sees on the other side of the lake two little headlights. He goes, oh, it's a snowmobile just cruising across the shore over there. Let's keep going. Tap, tap, tap. 
And then he looks up, and that little the noise gets louder and louder, and the lights get bigger and bigger. He's like, well, maybe, maybe it's not a snowmobile. Maybe it's like a, a small an ATV or something that's ice fishing at night. Tap, 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 goes a little farther. And all of a sudden, the noise gets loud. And these headlights are massive. And it comes past them, cruising onto the road they just left. It was a trucker, a, a tree truck. A logging truck, thank you. A logging truck. I knew the word, I just forgot it. A logging truck, loaded, carrying 85,000 pounds across this ice. They jumped out of the way. The truck went by. He got back, grabbed a stick, tap, 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 <laughs> tap, tap, tap. Now, here's the question. If the average weight of those students, averaging 150 pounds, some bigger, some smaller, with the youth pastor, 4,600 pounds approximately, would it be ridiculous for them to say, tap, 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 tap? Yes, because... I don't know if you all know this, but I think I just said this, 85,000 pounds. I looked and Googled it this week. A loaded logging truck is 85,000 pounds running across the ice. And here's the thing I want us to grasp as we start today with a big God. The better the view, the easier to trust. The better the view, the easier to trust. And today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 8 talking about a big God, because here the psalmist is creating and telling us of a big picture of God, not like a little wimpy God, not like a little God. No, this is big God. And so today, I want to invite you to start thinking of God as much greater than you can imagine, but I want you to try to imagine with me. Because so often we get stuck in the limbo and go, yeah, he's big. But we don't try to understand and grasp it. But when we try to understand and grasp it, it actually gives us greater value of who he is and it makes it easier for us to trust him. And so, as we turn here, let's start reading with verse 1. Right before verse 1, there's a superscription that says, For the director of music, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of David. Now, this is just to remind you guys, this is a song. A song with a lot of theology built into it, but a song. According to the Giddeth, as I studied this, there was division on, is, it, uh, a, is that an instrument or is that a, a tune? They don't know, but it was, just, it was to be played with or along or to help guide the song. And then this is a psalm of David. This is a written in the style of David from David. And we read here in verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. 
Here, right off, the psalmist starts introducing us. Lord, our Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I read this, I think English does so much disservice to this text. Because it sounds repetitive. Lord, our Lord. Lord, our Lord. But if you go to the understanding of what the Hebrew is here, even though I am not a Greek scholar and Hebrew scholar that knows all the Hebrew and Greek, but I can use tools and try to find stuff, what they mean and different things like that. And as I'm studying this, every time you see Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is referring to the personal, proper name of God. That name is introduced to us in Genesis chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, keep your finger here. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. As you're turning there, that name, that personal proper name, we'll see in Genesis chapter 2, it is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is Yahweh, also translated as Jehovah. A very personal and proper name of God. You see, in chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is the same God. But in the beginning, God. Chapter 1 is a big picture description of creation an introduction to humanity, big picture. And in chapter 1, that term is Elohim, which means divine. In the beginning, God, the divine, the one that is mighty, the one that is strong, that one is above all, the one that is supreme, created the heavens and the earth. But then in chapter 2, Genesis names the personal name of who that is. Now, the reason why this is important, because names connect. For example, if I walked by Beth Grady, Beth Grady, she's right here, raise your hand. I know, I didn't tell her I was going to do this. Okay, that's Beth Grady. If I walk, I've been coming to church here for seven years. She's been coming here for a lot longer than that. If I walked by her every single Sunday and I never knew her name, that would mean we have no what? No what? No relationship. Because she needs to know my name, I need to know her name. This is how you introduce each other. And here in Genesis chapter 2, God introduces himself, saying, I'm not just Elohim the divine, I am Jehovah Yahweh. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 5. It says, Now the shrub had yet not appeared on earth, no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God, that's Yahweh God, had not sent rain. Verse 7 Then the Lord God, that's Yahweh, Jehovah God, formed man from the dust of the ground. Verse 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. Verse 15, for the Lord God, that is Jehovah God, took man, put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. You see, starting with verse 1 of Psalm 8, the psalmist David says, listen, I want you to understand who we're talking about. This is not just some random, nameless God who has no relationship. This is the living God, Jehovah God. He is Lord God. But then he goes, Lord, 
our Lord. If you look at that second Lord, the first the L's capital, and then the rest of the letters are lowercase. And that term Lord means master, owner, king, one in charge. So here we see David writing out, calling on the name of the Lord, the one and the only, Jehovah. If anybody's questioning who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jehovah, the living God of Israel, our master, our king. How majestic. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I've, I've run up to the mountains over in Colorado, and I'm like, wow, this is so majestic. And yet when you look at the term majestic, it means noble, Excellent, mighty, famous, gallant, glorious, good, lordly, worthy, powerful, and large. That is our God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how set apart as in holy is your name. Your name means your reputation, your identity, your fame, your work, your glory, your report, how you are identified. How majestic is your identity in all the earth. In all, in every fiber, in every part, in every molecule, in every atom, in every piece of soil, in every mountain, in every sea, in every stream, in every ocean. Oh God, Jehovah, my King, how glorious, how big, how awesome is your identity in everything you've created. You see here, we see first off, in this first half of this first verse here, God is bigger than we can grasp. And yet he is intimately personal with us. You see, when we want to start with a big view of God, we need to understand that he is bigger than we can grasp and yet intimately personal with us. He reached down to man to tell us his name. You know, Let's pause and think about that for a second. Have you ever thought about that? God of all creation introduced himself. I'm Jehovah. He had a personal relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden, and to this day, he wants a personal relationship with you and me. You see, God is big, and yet he's intimately personal. But not only is he big, but he displays his name to us. Let's keep reading on the second half of that verse. You have set your glory in the heavens. You've put into place, you gave, you laid, you delivered, you caused, you appointed, you shown your beauty, your honor, your majesty, your splendor. Through the stars, through the sky, through the universe. My friends, the first step into praising God is recognizing who he is. 
and he's not a cheap knockoff that this world has to offer. He is Jehovah Yahweh. He is the one who created all. And when we need a proper view of a big God, we need to start with an understanding that he's very big and very personal. But not just that. Let's keep reading in verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, when I first read this verse, I was like, this is a weird verse. Like, you've used the praise of children and infants, and you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and avenge. Like, what in the world does that mean? And some people are like, well, you know, they take it as, well, little babies, because when it says infants there, it actually means nursing children. So it's like these little infants. And some people are like, well, that just means the babbling. When they babble, they're praising God. But if you look in the context of the whole of this book, it doesn't mean the babbling of babies. It's actually meaning the infants and the children are the weakest among us. You see, he's actually using children and infants to reflect on those weak, the weakest of people, their strength, their victory does not come from within them, but it comes from looking to God and praising him. This is a call to look upward, not inward when facing struggles. You see, it's a call to have a big view of God and sing about it. Now here's the thing. It doesn't mean, I know this is going to sound like, sing about it? Yeah, we're going to read some scripture today about singing out the praises of God. Now you might be like saying, like, well, Pastor Nate, I don't like singing and I don't have a good voice. Well, that's okay. Most of us don't. I mean, there's always someone better, let's be honest, right? But see, we need to understand that when we verbally praise our God, we are realigning our mind and our soul to who he is. When we verbally praise God, we are realigning our mind and our soul. Just like after a heavy winter in Illinois, because the roads in Illinois are so horrible. I used to live there. I know it. They're like, we would, I, I remember when I was 18 years old and I was driving through a bunch of states and I saw a watch out bump here. Me and my friend actually laughed like that's a bump because Illinois roads where we were was like pothole city. And I remember every couple of years you have to do what with your car tires? You got to get them realigned. Now, some might say at some point you might actually get your tires changed, too, because you destroy your tires. But you got to get your car realigned. Why? Because when you're hitting the bumpy roads, a tire gets knocked off, and it wears out much faster. Praise realigns our souls when we're tired. It actually brings us back into understanding who God is. His strength, his might, his power, his awesomeness. You see, praise realigns our soul. And when we feel like it the least, that is when we need to do it the most. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, if you have your Bibles in front of you there, it's page 358 in the church Bibles. But 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
2 Chronicles chapter 20. As you all are turning to 2 Chronicles, it's to the left of Psalm, if you're not sure exactly where it's at. Um, it's going to be funny. It's right, right after 1 Chronicles. I know. I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. Um, but it is just after 1 Chronicles. Uh, but 2 Chronicles 20, as you guys are turning there, I'm going to set this up. King Jehoshaphat is king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, Israel got separated from the southern kingdom of Judah. The tribes separated. Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. And uh, here, King Jehoshaphat was king. And uh, we re- we, if we were to read it in verses 1 through 4, uh, someone came to King Jehoshaphat and said, King, I just want to let you know right now uh, there's a bunch of armies coming after us. In fact, there's three different armies coming to attack us. They're massive. They're massive. They're massive. There's no hope. We're doomed. And it's starting with verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said out loud, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it, and they built it in a sanctuary for your name saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress, and you will hear us and save us. Here, Jehoshaphat's calling out to the Lord, and he says, listen, are you not the God who is in heaven? Declaring his position. The one who rules over all the kings of the nations, declaring his authority. You have power and might are in your hand, Declaring the power of God. Today, we come before you. We said we were going to do it when, we, this, was, when this temple was built. The sanctuary was built. We're doing it today. Let's keep reading. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow us, you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them as you told us. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Imagine this city of Jerusalem filled with people from all over Judah coming together, gathering together. This king saying, God, we have no hope. The people of other nations are surrounding us. And if you don't intervene, we will be wiped off the earth. We don't know what to do. But we wait for you. You ever felt like that? You just don't know what to do? 
your back's against the wall, you feel like the enemy's surround, you feel like life is just a struggle, and you're just like, I don't know what to do. God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Do something. God, help. As we keep reading here, verses 14 through 17, a prophet spoke up. But let's start with verse 17. This prophet said this, a message from the Lord. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Verse 20. So early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa as they set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army. Pause for a second. Now, they're caused to go out to war. The prophet said, go out, prepare yourself. I find this pretty amazing. Jehoshaphat understood, even with the best of the best of armies, they could not win this battle. So where did he put the army? He put the army in the back. He said, all right, let's prepare ourselves. Ready? Get all the singers up in the front. Let's practice this, y'all. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever. Oh, wait, I didn't hear y'all. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever. Let's, let's all say this, all right? Let's all sing this. It goes like this. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever. Now imagine that on repeat. As this army of singers praising the king of kings leads out while the army with swords and spears and shields are in the back, the singers, the choir is leading us out. They're calling on the name of the Lord in praise, calling out on his faithfulness, calling out on who he is. Give thanks to the Lord. Jehovah Yahweh, by the way. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And verse 22 says, And as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. You see, we need to understand that true strength is found only in God. It's not in ourselves. And so we want to praise God because we need to recognize he is the one who can do something about it. I don't know about you, but there's very little I have control over in life. Very little. I act like I have a lot of things under control. I have very little control of anything. I can barely control my tongue sometimes. My attitude, sometimes things just burst out of my heart. 
I can't control my kids. My wife, don't even think about it. You guys, not even, not even an option. We have zero control. But you know what we go to? We go to the one who has total control. And we lift up his name and praise him. You see, this morning, we need to understand to get a big view of a big God. It starts with recognizing he is bigger than we can grasp, and he's personally intimate with us. We also need to understand that true strength is found in him. But not just that. We need to recognize God cares more than I can know. Let's look at verse 4, or verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, at which you have set in place, he goes back to praising God again. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, or human beings that you care for them? Like, who are we? You ever thought about that? Who are we? Who, who am I that God would love Nathan Meeks? If I'm being fully honest, I love myself when I shouldn't. But most things, I, down deep, there's things I just cannot stand about myself. And God just says, I know everything about you down to the very deepest cell, the deepest thought. And you don't scare me away. I love you. God, who created all, knows all, cares. Who are we? Who is man that you are mindful that you actually have any thought that goes to us and human beings that you care for us? I mean, think of this. When's the last time you killed a spider in your house? Did anybody kill one this morning? How about this weekend? Raise your hand if you Okay. Okay, we have a couple here this weekend. Did you have a little morning party of their lays and little daddy long leg dude? No, you didn't think twice about it because it's just a stupid little daddy long leg, right? Now, maybe some of you have a little more sympathetic heart and you would have mourned for that. We love you. You're awesome. Um, but I wouldn't have. I would have been like, kill, kill. <laughs> because it's nothing to me. Y'all know that we should be nothing to God. And yet, he loves us. You see, here we need to grasp this understanding. His care for us doesn't mean that we are awesome. It means he is awesome. The created doesn't look at the creator and say, wow, look at me, I am really cool. To go, wow, creator, you are are amazing. You care. You designed. You see, this does not mean we are great, but that he is great. But not just that. Keep reading with verse 5. Not only does he care about us, talking about man, it says, you, God, have made man a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths 
of the sea. Not only do you care about us, but you crowned us with being made in the very image of God where we reflect you and you give us authority over things. You see, God is bigger than we can imagine, and yet he's very personal. Our strength, true strength, comes only through him. God cares more about us than we can imagine. And here we need to come to grasp that our God loves us. He loves us. He knows everything about us, and he loves us and equips us to do his work. Are we in awe of that? How often do we just get used to things? Like, used to it. Like, you do it a couple times. Uh, how, how often, just this is a question, how often do you guys go out to Lake Michigan and you're in awe of Lake Michigan right here, right? I, 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 I am in awe of it. I still enjoy it. But I remember, like, the first time I drove into Port Washington down Grand Avenue, and it was like, <gasps> I might be living here. And now I go down and go, wow, that's beautiful. I still find delight in it. I still enjoy it. But it doesn't have quite that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have we lost that with God? Have we lost the awe of John 3.16, my friends? That creator of all. came to this earth and died for our sins. Does that blow your mind? See, this passage, this psalm is meant to reflect and bring us back to things that when we are in different circumstances, when we're in good circumstances and bad circumstances, when the seasons of lament are sandwiching in on both sides, when life feels like it's just big, Bigger than us. Get a big view of God. You see, the reason why is because praise realigns our hearts to see God clearly. Praise is the weapon of the weak. And that's a good thing. You know, we think, well, that just sounds like a wimpy weapon. I didn't say it's a wimpy weapon, it's a weapon of the weak. When we don't have any other choice, when we have nothing left, praise God. Praise to remember his greatness. Praise realigns our hearts to see God clearly. And this is what I want to invite you to today. Praise him because he is worthy, my friends. Praise him because he is worthy. Not because you sound good, but because he is good. Don't praise him because like, everything in life is rosy. Maybe everything in life is rosy, but just praise him anyway. Don't avoid praise because everything in life is bad. Praise him anyway. Realign your hearts to praise him. 
See, maybe today you're facing big problems, big pains, big burdens. Maybe everything in life is going great, and you're like, I just can't imagine a better life. I don't care what side of the scale you are on. I want to invite you to have a big view of God appraising him. When money dries up, praise him. When cancer comes back, praise him. When your best friend dies, praise him. When your kids walk away, praise him. When all feels hopeless, praise him. When your kids are following Jesus, praise him. When your marriage is awesome, praise him. When your marriage is falling apart, praise him. When you drop out of school, praise him. When you get the scholarship, praise him. You see, in all circumstances, praise him. Don't wait for everything to be good to praise him. Don't wait for everything to be bad to praise him. Just praise him. Make it a part of your life because it is a time of realigning your heart. Just like that tire needs to be realigned or just like looking to see, oh, that's a semi crossing the ice. Realign our hearts to see God for who he is. And praise him. Because he is worthy of all glory, all honor, and all praise, my friends. So this morning, when you walk out the door today, I want to encourage you. Find a song of praise to the Lord and play it so much that it melts into your soul. Let it be a default that even when you're not thinking, you just start naturally singing a praise. You see, we do this because we are preaching to ourselves through praise of the goodness of God. When we praise when we're alone, we're just preaching to ourselves of the goodness of God. Will you praise God with me? As I wrap up today's message, if you got nothing else, I want us to try to memorize a verse. Actually, memorize a song. And it says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Can we all say that together? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Let that be on your heart. Let's pray. This morning, God, we come before you when we recognize and acknowledge that you are a God who's very personal, very intimate, very big, very mighty, very powerful, and you care. And this morning, God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and pay a debt of our sin by dying on the cross, knowing that we could not make the payment. We cannot be good enough. We cannot work hard enough. But your son, being totally God, fully man, came to this earth, died on the cross, making payment, paid in full, 
the payment for our sins, and that if we trust you alone, we have eternal life. God, let us be in awe. In awe of you. Let us delight in you. Let us find value in you. Let us look to you as our God, the living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Peter, Mary, Paul. Lord, let us worship you and you alone and exalt your name as our big and awesome God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.